Hello, I'm Paul Jones with the last in the current series of A Beginner's Guide to the Blues. This week I'm featuring a man of supreme talent, a smooth vocalist and an amazing musician, who's still, I believe, the fifth most successful artist of all time in the Billboard R&B chart. His name is Louis Jordan. You're not trying to tell me that's blues. Well, yes, I am. And I make no apologies either. OK, so there's no I woke up this morning and there's no my woman, she left me. But despite the frivolous lyric, it is blues in the way it's constructed. And rather like Bessie Smith, Louis Jordan used the blues to entertain. So that was Barnyard Boogie, recorded in New York City on the 23rd of April 1947. And a typical number of his from the late 40s, the period when Louis Jordan was most successful. Backed, of course, by the Timpani Five. It featured, among others, Wild Bill Davis on piano and Carl Hogan on guitar, who incidentally was an inspiration to Chuck Berry. Louis Jordan was born in Brinkley, Arkansas in 1908, the son of a jobbing musician, Joe Jordan, and his wife Adele. And it was through his father that Jordan Jr. received his first musical training. 
Jordan Sr. was occasionally the bandleader with one of the many southern touring companies around, the Rabbitfoot Minstrels. So he got his son, still a child by the way, into the outfit as a clarinetist and dancer. It also gave the young Louis a valuable lesson in the blues as he got to work with two of its legendary performers and regulars on the circuit, Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith. Unusually for a blues artist, Louis Jordan received a formal musical education, emerging in 1928 from the Baptist College in Little Rock, able to play the whole gamut of reed instruments, although he chose the alto sax as his preferred one. Over the next eight years, Louis moved northeast via Philadelphia to New York City, working as a band member with the likes of Charlie Gaines, Clarence Williams and Louis Armstrong. In the autumn of 1936, he was invited to join the Chick Webb Orchestra, which provided the stepping stone to his own recording career and his first hit. I'm gonna move way out on the outskirts of town I don't want nobody always hanging around I'm gonna tell you baby we gon' move away from here I don't want no ice man I'm gonna get me a Frigidaire When we move Way out on the outskirts of town I don't want nobody Always hanging around Bring them every day That'll stop that grocery boy And keep him away when we move Way out on the outskirts of town I don't want nobody who Always hanging around It may seem funny, honey it may be funny as can be But if we have any children I want them all to look like me That's why I'm gonna move Way out on the outskirts of town I don't want nobody Always hanging around More traditionally blues, perhaps. I'm going to move to the outskirts of town by Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five, recorded in Chicago in November 1941, and it figured in Billboard's first R&B chart a year later when it reached number three. 
As I said earlier, Louis Jordan joined the Chick Webb Orchestra in 1936. Webb recognised his talent straight away and gave him the job as frontman, introducing numbers, performing alto sax features and some solo vocal work too, although the latter rapidly decreased in favour of a new young discovery by the name of Ella Fitzgerald, with whom, by the way, he recorded later when they were both big stars. Through their residency at Harlem Savoy Ballroom and broadcasts on national radio, the Chick Webb Orchestra became phenomenally successful, and that success inevitably rubbed off on its stars. Louis recorded his first solo vocal with the Webb outfit in 1937, called Gee But You're Swell, and a year later he played on Ella's A Tisket A Tasket. But, as Louis Jordan said in an interview in the early 70s, I loved playing jazz with a big band, loved playing the blues, but I really wanted to be an entertainer. I wanted to play for the people. So, in 1938, and just before Chick Webb died, the confident 30-year-old left to form his own band. Soon after, he signed a record contract with Decker, with whom he stayed until 1954, and with whom he produced his best and most successful music. Now, Louis Jordan had a significant influence on many blues artists. One of them was Ray Charles, so here he is with an absolutely sensational tribute. Control! Oh, that's a good time to roll! 
Yeah, he said, and so do I. What about that? The great Ray Charles and the classic blues anthem, Let the Good Times Roll. That version from 1959 and produced by Quincy Jones, whose arrangement seems to me to suit the song much better than Jordan's somewhat lugubrious treatment. Louis Jordan recorded it in June 1946, and it was put on the back of another classic, Ain't Nobody Here But Us Chickens. B.B. King often uses it as an opener for his concerts, and a couple of years ago he fulfilled a long-standing ambition to make a tribute album of the songs of his idol. Some of Jordan's success must be put down to his exquisite musicianship and that of his band, for he always surrounded himself with the best. There were quite a few lineups of the Timpani Five, but I think three of its most notable members over the years were the pianist Wild Bill Davis, guitarist Carl Hogan, and drummer Walter Martin, from whose ability to play the Timpani the band got its name. I'll just slip in here that it started out, by the way, as the Elks Rendezvous Band, after the Harlem Night Spot where they played. OK, let me take this opportunity to remind you that you're listening to A Beginner's Guide to the Blues with me, Paul Jones. I'm featuring Louis Jordan. Hey, Pedro, where is Lolito? It's early in the morning and I ain't got nothing but the blues. 
started out Couldn't find my baby, now my money's run out Now it's early in the morning Ooh, yeah, in the morning It's early in the morning and I ain't got nothing but the blue I do love what Humphrey Littleton once called all that clattering hardware Yes, that's another one that Ray Charles covered, and then again, so did Van Morrison and Georgie Fame, early in the morning, from incidentally the same 1947 session as Barnyard Boogie. By the way, playing on that were two more notable musicians in the Timpani Five, whom I omitted to mention earlier, Dallas Bartley on bass, he co-wrote a lot of Jordan's songs, and Chris Columbus on drums, and the Calypso Boys provided the Caribbean rhythm. From 1946 to 1948, Louis Jordan enjoyed unparalleled popularity. He'd had other massive hits like Choo Choo Chaboogie, which we'll hear later, Jack You're Dead, and Boogie Woogie Blue Plate. And his frenetic live appearances were sellouts. For instance, a San Francisco promoter, John Burton, put on a series of one-nighters in March 1948, and he's reported to have said, Louis Jordan will make me more money than any other four attractions I can get. Now, another great musician and singer who fell under the spell of Louis Jordan was Dinah Washington. And in 1962, just a year before she died, she delivered Louis' great 1943 song, Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby. Louis Jordan said that he got the idea for that song from a small white man who used to frequent Lakota's Lounge in Milwaukee, where he and the band were playing for a time. The man went in every night and had dinner with a woman who spent a lot of time talking to other people. In frustration, the man said, Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby? Hence Louis, with Billy Austin, produced the lyric. I should say that not all of those around Louis agree with that version, but it's a good tale nonetheless. So let's hear Dinah Washington in her own inimitable style, and boy, what a style. Still my baby, true. 
is a creature that has always been strange. Just when you are sure of one, you will find he's gone and made a change. So is you is, or is you ain't my baby? Maybe my baby's found somebody new. Yes, the amazing and wonderful Dinah Washington with Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby. Incidentally, B.B. King's duet version of that song with Dr. John from the aforementioned tribute album earned him a Grammy. From about 1948, Louis Jordan's career started to wane. While his personal appearances, and indeed his many films, continued to be popular, his records no longer sold in such huge quantities. There were several reasons. Competition from new black artists was beginning to bite, and he suffered health problems. Marital difficulties and a battle with the taxman contributed to his decline as well. Also, within ten years, a musical revolution had taken place, rock and roll, and that brought his career effectively to an end. But Louis enjoyed 57 hit records in the American charts between 1942 and 1951, with 113 weeks spent at number one. Louis Jordan made a serious impact on the blues, for he was a major influence on Etta James, Willie Dixon, all the people I've mentioned, and even Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie too. He achieved his wish of emulating Louis Armstrong by doing the near impossible at that time, being faithful to his many black fans, while at the same time transcending the race barrier and pleasing the white audience. Louis made some fine recordings after his departure from Decca in 1954, but they were largely ignored by the public, and while he continued to work sporadically until his death, he never recaptured that popularity that he enjoyed during the 40s. He died of a heart attack in 1975, but left a legacy in which he paved the way forward for the blues. OK, he dressed it up in a sharp suit and humorous lyrics, but he still delivered comments on the social ills of the day, it's just that they were more subtle, and he could cope with more than three chords. By the way, that legacy was brought to life again in 1990 when Clark Peters devised Five Guys Named Mo, a sensationally popular West End and Broadway musical set around Jordan's music. Now, this is the last in the series of A Beginner's Guide to the Blues, and I really hope that I've whetted your appetite for more. If so, don't forget I dispense a weekly prescription of great blues, old and new, on Radio 2. Right, the last record is Louis' all-time great from 1946. It was originally a country song which Milt Gabler, his producer, had passed to him, asking if anything could be done with it. Louis gave it to pianist Wild Bill Davis, who worked out a mean blues shuffle, and what followed was a massive hit, which stayed at the top of the American R&B charts for 18 weeks. A Beginner's Guide to the Blues was produced by Richard Masters, and this is Paul Jones playing out with Choo Choo Chibuki. Bye. 
out the station with a pack on my back I'm tired of transportation in the back of a hack I love to hear the rhythm of the clickety-clack And hear the lonesome whistle, see the smoke from the stack And pal around with Democratic fellas named Mac So take me right back to the track Jack, choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Woo-woo, woo-woo-chee-boogie Choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Take me right back to the track Jack Destination, but alas and alack You need some compensation to get back in the black You take a morning paper from the top of the stack And read the situations from the front to the back The only job that's open needs a man with a knack So put it right back in the rack Jack, choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Woo-woo, woo-woo-chee-boogie Choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Take me right back to the track Jack, So when I hear a whistle, I can peep through the crack And watch the train a-rolling when it's falling a jack For I just love the rhythm of the clickety-clack So take me right back to the track Jack, choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Woo-woo, woo-woo-chee-boogie Choo-choo, choo-choo-chee-boogie Take me right back to the track <laughs> 